Good evening and welcome back. We have entered the full bloom of the tourist season and in many parts of Ireland people are enjoying the sights and sounds of the country. The story we will hear tonight is one that I wrote a few years ago, but it is strangely becoming reality for me. But that's another story. Because this is a bit longer than most of what we listen to here, I've divided it into two parts. I'll release the second part shortly. So, let's begin. The Dixie Dollar. Shaven and spruced, the chief carefully folded his shirts into neat piles upon his bed. He had already matched a number of ties and rolled these into tight cylinders along the outer edges of his suitcase. In all, it had taken two hours to iron each outfit from underwear to socks and to carefully crease his trousers. Snapping shut the clasps of his leather case, he paused and looked about the room. Had he packed enough clothing and provisions for five days on the road? Toothpaste? It irked him that after four summers of driving a tour bus and countless individual trips, he still needed to mentally scroll through his inventory for fear of omitting one item or another. Maybe he was becoming senile and doddery in his advancing years. But no, he reassured himself. He had been this way all his life. In fact, the one thing he could reliably remember was that he had always been forgetful. Moving downstairs and into the kitchen, the chief sat at a narrow table and slowly read through his itinerary for tomorrow. He would need to be at the depot for 7am and pick up the first members of his group in Killarney by 8. There were two more collection points in Tralee and then it was full steam ahead for Waterford to begin their tour of the East Coast. He had come to enjoy this trip more than the others and he supposed this owed something to the novelty it still held for him. Though he brimmed with affection for the rugged Kerry landscape which had framed his life. His work on the tours had afforded him a new appreciation of the ancient East. He found the relative calm of the Irish Sea soothing to his weary eyes, and he embraced the vistas as the tour bus hugged the coastal roads of Wexford. Further up, they would cross into Ireland's Garden County and meander through the sleepy vales of Avoca, stopping for photos at various points through the Wicklow Mountains. Yes, he concluded. He had firmly re-evaluated his attitude to the nation's eastern flank. Even Dublin held a certain charm on a sunny day. Placing the itinerary in a plastic folder, he was thankful that life had afforded him this little opportunity to appreciate his own country. Having taken early retirement after three decades of service in the guards 
a fresh tranquility of the mind had vindicated his decision. Life in his post in Cork City had been good to him, and he had forged many friendships, though he could never shake the mark of a country fish out of water. Women had traced in and out of his life, and he had even slipped a ring on one of their fingers. But alas, the final walk up the aisle had eluded him. Too slow on his feet, she said, before the flower of their bond, unwatered, withered and died without the nurture of his attention. But there was little reason to be bitter about past lessons, surmised the chief, standing from the table and scratching at his belly through a hole in his vest. Wasn't he contented in his little home on the edge of Tralee? When his mother died almost ten years ago, he had moved in to provide company and mild remedial care for his father. It was to be temporary at first, but the months had slipped into a habit, and he had become settled in his childhood home. You're nesting, his father would moan at him as they sat in front of the soaps each night, only the television's flicker illuminating their living room. The chief would ignore the jibe, knowing his father was aware that he would be in a nursing home without his son's care. Pausing at the light switch before returning upstairs, his memory flashed through a childhood with his father. He was an honourable man, for the most part, but he could turn wicked with little provocation. Many a day the chief and his younger brother Sean had bolted for the hills when he came through the door, knowing their mother was about to inform him of the day's transgressions. He cooled down after a plate of spuds and a glass of porter, and the boys would skulk back after the nightly news, knowing he'd be distracted by the weather forecast. You know what the two of ye need now? He'd begin, with his eyes on the screen and a crooked finger twirling in their direction. Eh, just shut up now and I'll see what this fella has to say about the rain in the morning. It was very close today. They'd slip upstairs, and the fire would be quenched out of him by the time he digested each of the scattered showers he had now been forewarned of. His words could be as cruel as his belt, though, and it was he who had coined the chief's nickname. The news that his son was joining the guards had come as something of a shock to him. Well, that beats all out. I can't believe my own flesh and blood Shine in the blasted peelers, he would say, with a hand on his hip, pointing a rolled-up newspaper. By God, Maureen, you never told us we were rearing the chief of Tralee, what? The name stuck to him like mud, and even travelled with him to Cork, thanks to the sly digs of his mischievous friends. And now, standing in his underwear, in the same kitchen, the chief flicked out the lights of 42 years ago and shuffled his way upstairs. Yes, he told himself, his father had a serpent's tongue in his head, but he loved the old bastard. Rolling through a troubled sleep, the chief awoke in the midst of a cloudy mind at 6am. With little time for breakfast, 
he slipped on his work clothing before pausing to inspect himself in the mirror. Shoes were shined, pants at a professional crease, yet he couldn't hide his grimace at the branded blue shirt the company made him wear. It spread crookedly over his portly belly, and the cheap material made an itch beneath his arms. Still, little could be done to amend these issues this morning, and so he grabbed his case and made his way down the tight stairway. He had left a note on the fridge door for the woman who would look after his father while he was gone. She was an old Polish wagon, burly and severe, but she put manners on him. Yes, the chief smiled as he turned his key in the lock. His father would be a quiet boy again by the time he returned. The green tour bus was already running when the chief arrived at the depot, and he could see Gavin, the tour guide, slumped inside the window. Not feeling all right, asked the chief, lowering his bulk behind the wheel. Gavin smiled, but his head didn't move from the glass. He was a pup of a young fella, gabby and cocksure, and it had taken a few months to smooth the rough corners off him. Now, in his second summer with the company, his yappy mouth had been trained to good use, and he was being moulded into a fine tour guide. A natural flair for it, the chief had been sure to tell the bosses. I've an old pain in my skull this morning, chief, Gavin grinned, his mop of black curls still flat against the window. Well, you better get your game face on now, laddie. There's 40 well-paying clients about to step onto this bus, and it won't be me that's keeping them entertained. Stretching his arms high above his head, the young man yawned and cleared sleep from his eyes. You just keep the wheels pointing in the right direction, Chief. I'll have them busy. The first pickup point in Killarney had by far the largest party. Twenty-four sprightly holidaymakers, mostly American, embarked loudly in a bustle of puffs and grunts. Gavin welcomed them all from his perch at the front of the bus. What an attractive crowd we have in front of us today, he began, adjusting his microphone. Have any of you lovely citizens ever been to the Emerald Isles East Coast before? Before long, he was slipping into his routine, memorising each of their names and countries of origin so that he could play them off one another or add a light-hearted jibe himself. It often irked the chief that his only company while driving was Gavin's backside and the young fellow faced the passengers. He supposed it was a view that wouldn't trouble many a lady, but it made a poor companion for him along the motorway. Once the last of the pickups had been completed in Tralee, the chief slipped on his sunglasses and powered on through the rolling countryside of West Cork. The morning had blossomed into a beautiful day and the bus pulled over for photo opportunities in each county they passed through. The Galty Mountains outside Mitchelstown, Care Castle in Tipperary. They sang the Rose of Moon Coming in the Kilkenny village and followed this 
with a panoramic view of Watford's marina. The afternoon was hotter still, and by the time they reached Wexford, Gavin was entering peak form, the entire bus given a rousing rendition of Molly Malone as they crossed the Leinster border. Now, my wonderful people, Gavin called into the microphone, raising his hand for silence like a preacher to his congregation. Who here has ever heard tell of a man by the name of Wolf Tone? I have, a voice returned in an American twang. Well then, replied Gavin, you must know he was the finest Protestant ever produced outside of old England. The bus broke into an edgy laughter, and Gavin took the opportunity to lean back and fart into the chief's face, an activity he was wont to do on hot days and believed was great sport. 1798 holds a special place in the heart of Ireland's troubled history, he continued solemnly. It was the year of a glorious rebellion and an attempt to unite Irish men and women of all class and creed under one banner of independence from the empire. And let me tell you that the model county of Wexford was the epicentre of that rebellion, ladies and gentlemen. The bus veered softly to the left as the chief brought them down an off-ramp. Tonight, Gavin concluded, as you know, we will be staying in the fortress town of Enniscorthy, and tomorrow we will visit a museum dedicated to that rebellion. After lunch, we will journey up Vinegar Hill, where those proud Irish rebels made their final stand. The chief pulled into the hotel car park and wearily turned off the ignition. It had been a long haul from Kerry this morning, and his eyes were tired from following white lines along the tarmac. He assisted Gavin with sorting out rooms at the reception desk, an arduous task given the special requirements and ailments of many in their party. When the last of these had been catered for, the chief informed his younger colleague that he would need to lie down for an hour before dinner. Just to rest my eyes, don't you know, he assured him. It was a relief to be free of the group's prying looks. The room was warm but comfortable, and the chief quickly began removing his restricting clothing until he was down to his socks and underwear. Lying supine on the bed, he exhaled his relief in a loud gasp to the empty room. Much better. Within seconds, he had rolled his body through the top sheet, cocooning himself in the fabric. It really had been a long day. The seat in the bus hurt his back after a few hours, and it throbbed now as he curled into a fetal position to ease its burden. Between the swaying blinds and the movement of traffic, he began to feel himself drift to another world. Yes, all day on the road, watching the trees and telephone poles skim by, plumassing each member of the group, Eurocrats and Yang. They could all fuck off. The phone rang on his bedside locker. Had an hour passed. Shell-shocked, 
he fumbled and rolled about until he picked up the receiver. Yes, it was Gavin. Wakey, wakey, chief. We'll have to show a face down here at some stage. Right, no problem. I'm up now anyway. Just hold me a seat and I'll be down in five minutes. He dropped the receiver down on its cradle. That was a fast hour. At least he could put on casual clothes now and he could leave the shower off until the morning. A shot of aftershave would do the trick. Arriving downstairs 20 minutes later in a pair of cords and a polo shirt, the chief's mind still felt woolly and his bloodshot eyes darted around for Gavin. The restaurant area was full and he was conscious of the wandering stares from those in his group. Beginning to lose hope, he finally caught sight of a twirling finger. Over here, chief. Gavin was sitting in a booth with two middle-aged ladies and all three were giggling at something he had just said. We held a seat for you, big man. Gavin smiled as his older companion brought his weight down on the seat beside him. The chief made his apologies and began to fidget with the menu. He should have stayed upstairs. Now he'd be expected to navigate his way through a mire of small talk, his feet sinking deeper with every word. Gavin should have been well able to keep them all entertained for one night. Fuck him. Why couldn't he have just left him alone in his room? These two lovely sisters are from Alabama, but don't hold that against them. Gavin was smiling into the froth of his pint of lager. Molly and Patty, the Dixie chicks, what? Both women erupted into a cackle, and the chief feigned his own amusement. Molly was the elder of the two, a jolly woman in her fifties, whose red cheeks glowed beneath the sparkle in her eyes. Her blonde hair was loose and dry, hanging down upon her freckled shoulders. Don't you be pushing your luck with me, young fella, she teased. Patty turned her attentions on the chief. You must enjoy this touring about all summer, huh? Asher, it's a living anyway, I suppose, he returned sheepishly, still not feeling himself. Patty gave him a reciprocal smile. She seemed at least ten years younger than her sister, and besides her identically blonde hair, she contrasted her in every way. In place of rounded features, her sharp cheekbones framed the lines of a pointed face, and her slender arms crossed gracefully over the table. Have you been working in this business for long, Chief? she asked. This is my tenth summer now, he replied. It gets me out of the house for a spell anyway. Gavin wiped his lips with a napkin and placed an arm around his older colleague's shoulder. What you're looking at here is a retired member of Ireland's police department. Law enforcement, as you girls would call it. The chief's face flushed as Gavin continued. Over 30 years on the beach in Cork City. Have any of you ladies ever been to Cork? The Americans shook their head. Oh, it's a tough place. Gavin spoke quietly now, placing his free pan on the table for effect. 
You'd want your wits about you walking down the streets down there. By God, you wouldn't ask a fella at the time of day for fear of getting a fist into the gob for your troubles. The chief removed Gavin's arm from over his shoulder. Don't mind him. Cork isn't that bad at all. It's quite pleasant, actually. Era, it is now, because you made it that way, chief, Gavin added. The barman brought a round of drinks to the table, and the chief bought his way into it with a pint bottle of cider. As he sipped through the ice and fizz, he listened carefully as the women unpacked their backgrounds without the faintest hint of decorum. They were spinster sisters from a rural area over a hundred miles south of Columbus. Their father, who was still alive, was from the sixth generation of a family who had laid down roots in the area sometime after the Civil War. Over the passage of time, what had begun as a modest family holding evolved to a ranch of several hundred acres. The nature of the business had also fluctuated with the years, moving from livestock to tillage, mostly to take advantage of the growth in demand for grain. That's all that shite you do be feeding the cows and chickens, Gavin stated with some authority. There's none of that carry on around here, let me tell you. Any cow's arse you order from that menu will be 100% grass-fed. And you can chalk that one down now, ladies. Molly eyed him with suspicion and used the menu to fan away heat from her neck. The day's warmth had not eased with the evening's arrival and her cheeks glowed from sunshine and cider. The chief noticed that whenever she chuckled, which she did a lot, her left bra strap would slip down the side of her shoulder before she fixed it back up again. He also noted the hefty bosom her bra contained. It must be the heat getting to him, he reassured himself. It felt off colour all day, and the cider was making their booth sway a little. Professionalism was the cornerstone of being a tour operator, and whenever he felt his slip, he was quick to steady the boat. Gavin was different. He was a young buck with more spunk than sense, and he could learn life's lessons at his own speed. With one last glance at Molly's chest, the chief finished his glass and excused himself from the company. They must understand, he added, that he would be driving the bus in the morning and would need his rest. I'll be up to tuck you in later, Gavin grinned. His tie had been loosened and he seemed to have targeted his affections on Patty. Once back in his room, the chief removed all of his clothing, and lay flat upon the blankets once more. The heat was only now beginning to ease, and he was glad of leaving a window open before going downstairs. Waiting for his head to settle, he watched a curtain sway on the gentle pulse of air, breathing softly behind it. The room was mercifully quiet, and the noise from the street was faint. Yes, he had not been himself all day. Was it a lack of sleep or the worry about his father? Maybe the heat in the bus had cooked his mind. He 
He wondered if Molly had noticed his roving eyes and a new heat scalded his cheeks. Nothing to be done about it now, old boy. Sleep would soon wrap its cosy arms around his problems and all would seem better in the morning. Yes, better to let such troubles of the earth and flesh rest until then.